You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. better? Good morning. 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 I'm privileged to be able to bring the Word of God uh, to you this morning, and uh, we hope that He does it, not me. Uh, The scripture today is Mark 10, 13 through 27. It's on page 1007 in the uh, Black Pew Bibles, so I'll read it. And it said, And they were bringing the children to him, so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child, will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. As he was setting out on the journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And his disciples were amazed to his words, and he, but Jesus answered, Again, and he said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but with God, for all things are possible with God. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to honor you this morning in worship, as we come before you in song, as we come before you in praise, as we come before you in opening the word. And we pray, Father, that the word will be open to us in a way that is new, in a way that is fresh, in a way that changes us. Lord, faith comes from from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So we put our trust in the word, in the word alone, and in your son. And in his name we pray. Amen. Um, last month for Christmas, Joyce and I got to go see our wayward children out to the west of the, of the country in Ohio and Illinois. We don't get to go up there much. One thing I enjoyed doing while I was up there is watching It's a Wonderful Life with my daughter. Uh, she and I have a good time reciting the movie to each other before the lines come. And one of the ones we always hit is uh, when uh, 
Donna Reed and Jimmy Stewart are walking down the road trying to develop their relationship, trying to find out, figure out if they were going to want to kiss. There's an old man standing on a porch and he looks down to them and he says, Ah, youth is wasted on the wrong people. And we always come to that and, and just kind of look at each other. And, and uh, so we're going to look this morning at some, a young man and see, one, is if his life was wasted, and two, if our lives are wasted. Uh, one thing I've learned from Tommy in sitting under his preaching for the last six or seven years is there is only one hero of the Bible, and that's Jesus Christ. Everyone else is, is uh, uh, a reflection of us. And as I look at the Bible, I like to see all the failures in the Bible and throw rocks at them and say, Adam, how could you give up your place in Eden to uh, have a fruit? Or Saul, how did you not wait for Samuel to show up before you went into battle? You could have had the kingship. Or as today, we'll look at the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler, why did you not choose to give up everything you had and follow Jesus? So as we look about the rich young ruler, it's, it's an interesting passage to me because it's in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all of them give a little bit different take on it, which is how we come up with the term rich young ruler. There is nowhere in the Bible that it refers to the rich young ruler. It is a composition of these three different um, uh, accounts of this story. Not a story, it's an actual thing that happened. It was not a parable, it was a real person. So, uh, what we know about him, probably, is that he was a religious leader, most likely, a Pharisee, Maybe a Sadducee, if it's a Sadducee, it would really be amazing because he asked for eternal life, Sadducees, and, and, and did not normally. But one thing that's interesting is there was no objections from anybody around when he presented himself to Jesus Christ as a person of good moral value. Uh, usually there would be Pharisees around that would say, oh, this man is a sinner, he's a tax collector, you can't listen to him. Or if you knew who she really was, you wouldn't be talking to her. So, so lack of an uh, outcry from people around made it appear that the people actually believed that this man was a good moral man and that he could come to them uh, in, a, in a situation where he could present himself as he did. Uh, I, I like to think of the rich young ruler as someone we could see in a car commercial, right? He's rich, he's young, he's very confident of himself, and he can present himself as uh, coming off as the perfect person, which he actually does. Um, so let's take a look at who he was. And as we take a look at who he was, let's kind of remember the rocks we tend to throw. When we throw rocks at these failures, it's because we think we're better than they are. The people who are failures in the Bible tend to reflect who we are and what our true feelings are. So as we go through who he is, let's, let's think about that. He certainly was a rich man. That was referred to in all three of the, of the Gospels. And uh, as a rich man, and if he was a Pharisee, he most likely tithed. 
And he probably did it, as we're told in Matthew 5, in such a way that everybody knew about it. That was a, that was a uh, mark of excellence, that a, he was a tither. He had this money that he could use for God and was probably very proud of that fact. But you know, when we start looking at wealth, it's really a relative term. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, the great magnate of the earliest 20th century, was once asked, what is wealth? And his answer was, a little bit more than I have. So as we look at his wealth, we say, yeah, he was a wealthy man. I can see that he was a wealthy man. He had all these things. But our heart condition says, where is our wealth? What do we have our wealth in? Um, this, this was driven home to me quite um, forcefully when I was in Romania. Uh, we were talking to a young couple. Joyce and I were talking to a young couple there. Uh, and they were, we were talking about the word. And, and she said, Arena said to me, I bet you're, uh, you live in America in a big house. Now, for those of you who've seen my house, it's pretty big. And my immediate reaction was to start explaining the size of my house. And I just said, you know, I do live in a big house. God has given me that. I am blessed with that. How am I going to use that? And it is just so relative when we come to these realizations that, yeah, we are richer than most of the world. And what are we going to do with our wealth? Are we going to tithe it? Now, that's an interesting term in itself. Tithe seems to indicate that there's a certain percentage that everybody must give to be happy, to make yourself good in the sight of God. The problem with that is if we say, ah, it's this percentage or it's that percentage, that tends to say, the rest of it we own. I'm going to give God this much, but how much of it do I own? God owns it all. And as we look to say with our riches, what are we going to do? Where are we going to focus? Timothy says, To the rich I say, do not trust in your riches, but be rich in good deeds. The rich young Euler was certainly young. Uh, and uh, that's mentioned in Matthew only. Um, and as a young man, he had a very interesting position. He, if he was a ruler in the, in, with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, that would have made him somewhat of a um, rarity because most of the people who were rulers were older, like me, right? Um, and that, but it, that he was young, that said he had a confidence and he had something that his life had youth. And the question is, what is he going to do with that youth? Um, millennials have a nice term, it's called FOMO, I guess it's millennials, I've learned this over the last couple of weeks, it's called uh, fear of missing out, that as a young person, millennials tend to want to make sure they don't miss out on anything, they're willing to go into debt to make sure they don't miss any of the world, they don't miss any of the things that, that is exciting in the world, one of the things that uh, they find gives their life meaning. They were so focused on themselves 
that they may miss what God has. The rich young ruler may have been so focused on his youth that he had missed what God has for his best. But youth also is a relative term. I found this out earlier this month. My son turned 40, which gives you an idea how really old I am. But for his 40th birthday, Joyce had saved the exact card that he gave me for my 40th birthday. The card said, 40's not old, it's not over the hill, but you can see it from there. (laughs) Now, when I got that card, that wasn't real pleasant, right? So he got to read the same card, signed by him, giving him a different perspective (laughs) on what youth really was. Now, I wish I were 40. That would be youthful. And like I said, I like to throw rocks a lot at people, and I just threw the rocks at millennials. But people my age, they start talking about retirement. And I talked to a guy at work that retired before I did. And I said, you know, Francis, what are you going to do with your retirement? And he said, well, I've got my bucket list I've got to do. I've got to, do, uh, I've got to go uh, take a parachute dive. I've got to go hike across the Grand Canyon, and I've got to spend uh, a, a week at Mardi Gras. You know, these are the things that were important to him. As he retired, he had bucket list things to do. So call it FOMO or call it bucket list. Where's the focus? Where was the focus of the rich young ruler? Was it on what he could do with his youth, what he could do with his life? What is the focus of me as I get to retire? Is my focus on I get to travel, I get to do all these things, or do I get to focus on what God has? Timothy says, When you have heard from me in the presence of what you have heard from me in the presence of any witness, entrust to the deposit of those who have been able to teach others also. Invest in youth and in age, invest in others so that they can see the Lord. What else was he? He was a ruler. Um, He was well respected, as we saw before. He was a blessed man, and his peers saw him as blessed by God because he had all these things. To them, that's what they saw God's blessing to be. That if you're rich and you're a ruler, God has blessed you. So his peers would have thought that. If you went up to him and you said to him, what do you do? That's the common question we ask men, particularly when we first meet him. What do you do? His answer would have been, I'm a ruler. I don't think it would have been I'm young. I don't think it would have been I'm rich. He would have said, I am a ruler. That is what I'm putting my, my purpose in life in. This is what I do. This is how I get Accolades. This is how people come back and say, you're really important. He focused on his own powers. He focused on his own works. He focused on doing what he thought was right. And he did think things were right. He was a moral man. He did present himself for the good of the people as he saw it. But his focus was in the wrong place. 
Ron Blue said, a secular work is spiritual when it's done to please God. A spiritual job is secular when it's done to please man. Where do you focus? What is it you do? When people come and ask you, what do you do? What's your answer? And this is something I, I struggled with. I would say, here's what I do. I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I do this. I talk to these people. And if I keep focusing on that, if I kept focusing on that, that is where my worth is. It's in me and what I do. Colossians says, whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Jesus was a carpenter, right? I forget who I was having this conversation with somebody not long ago. I said, would you like to have a table made by Jesus? Talk about a quality product. Then there's the world. Charlie Sheen, I'm sure you're familiar with him, said, It's lonely at the top, but I certainly like the view. So where is our view? Who is our view from? What's most telling about all this is the encounter that the rich young ruler had with Jesus. In many, in a couple of respects, it was very, very interesting, very shocking. Here was a ruler, here was a man that everybody admired, had a status in the community, who ran up to Jesus and knelt before him. Unlike Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee who came to God by night because he was afraid of what others would say, he, he had a longing desire to talk to Jesus and wasn't afraid of what everybody else had to say about it. He's unashamed. He goes up to him and says, Jesus, what's this question? What must I do to have eternal life? He asked the right question. He realized something was missing from his seemingly perfect life to everybody else. He knew something was not there. I read an I read a, um, interview with Mark Zuckerberg that was, I think it came out on Friday or Thursday. And they were interviewing, you know who Mark Zuckerberg is. If you, for those of you who don't, he's the person who founded Facebook. So obviously this man is very rich. He's 35 years old, which classifies in my book as being very young. And I would say he is a ruler. He rules a good part of social media. So he classifies, and, and they were asking him about his religion. And he said, I'm becoming more religion since I've become a father and since I have uh, had issues with my company and had to explain them to Congress, I'm becoming more religious. Those were the two reasons that sent him to looking into his heart. And he said, I think there is comfort in knowing that there are things bigger than you. It's why I have so much faith in democracy. And it's why I care so much about giving people a voice. You have to believe in things bigger than yourself. 
Mark Zuckerberg, much like the rich young ruler, realized that there was something bigger than him out there. There was something that, that he didn't have. And he went searching for it. And he went to Jesus. And he said to him, Good teacher. Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good. He was referring to Psalm 14 and actually Psalm 53 were practically the same psalms where he says, There is none that are good, no, not even one. He was saying to him, If I am good, I am God. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Old Testament said at the time. The next thing he said, he says uh, in Matthew particularly, he says, what good thing must I do to receive eternal life? And both the other Gospels say, what do I need to do? I, I see the one good thing he wanted to do. I, I think about Naaman, if you remember him back in uh, Second Kings. Naaman was a leper, and he wanted to be cleansed. And there was someone said, if you go see the prophet of God, Elisha, he will cleanse you. So Naaman set out with 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 uh, garments and went out to go get healed. And he went to go to Elisha's house and he said, I want to be healed, go get Elisha. And his, his servant came out and said to him, just go wash in the Jordan, I think it was three times. Naaman was appalled, one, that Elisha didn't come out to see him, but two, he came ready to do anything. He, Elisha could have said, well, if you go conquer this army, or if you go overtake this, or if you go do this great work, if you pay me all this money, then you'll be cleansed. What he asked, to do, what he asked him to do was really very simple. It was a very simple act. And that's what we're asked to do, is a very simple act in one way, to trust in Jesus Christ. It is not dependent on us. It's dependent on God. The problem, I think, with the rich young ruler was he was not looking at the condition of his heart. We just prayed, all that I have, Lord, all that is in me. Right? That's what we need to look at. What is the condition of our hearts? The rich young ruler was looking to add something to his life. I believe he liked the fact that he was rich. I believe he liked the fact that he was young. I believe he liked the fact that he was a ruler. What he wanted is, give me one more thing, which is eternal life. I'll add that to all these things that I have. I can knock that one off, and I'll have that. And so Jesus says to him, amazingly, you know how... To have eternal life, go do the commandments. Now the interesting thing of the commandments he talks about, they are the commandments that I would call doing commandments. Things you could see. Don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. We can see these in each other. If I go do something for the poor, if I hand something out to the poor, you can see me doing that and say, oh, Jeff's a good guy. He did something for the poor. What you can't see 
is how do I honor God? What do I do in my heart? Who do I put first? The incredulous answer that the rich young ruler comes up with, he says, I have done these things. How many of us would actually even say that? I mean, that's just amazing to me. I know I haven't kept the Ten Commandments. I'm I'm willing to say all you know you haven't kept the Ten Commandments. But he did. No outcry from the people around the story, by the way. They said, yeah, this guy's a good guy. Compared to everybody else around him, he was a good guy. And he said, I've done these things. Jesus' reply is amazing to me. You know, if it were me, I'd say, don't you remember when I was at a Sermon on the Mount, we talked about adultery and what it really is, what murder, what it is, what honoring your father and mother really is? You know, let's go back to that. You heard this. Obviously, you've heard about me and you've heard of me. You've heard what I've taught. That's why you're seeking me out. You know, in my, in my flesh, that's what I've done. You can't really believe that. But Jesus didn't do that. What does it say in Mark? I have to find it. Verse 21. Looking at him... Jesus felt a love for him. Here was a man that was coming to him asking the right questions. Of course, he knew his heart. And he said, I love this man. In his heart, he loved this man, even though he knew he was doing things he, couldn't, he really didn't do. But he loved him. And in loving him, he was going to tell him the truth. This is where we talk about speaking the truth and love. Jesus was going to speak the truth and love. And he said, One thing you lack, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and have a treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now what he was doing obviously was focusing on the first two commandments, which says you will have no other God before me and have not make any graven image or idol in its place. He, of course, had made graven images of youth, of richness, of, an ruler, of being a ruler. And he did not have in his heart what he needed. He did not have God first. But the Lord loved him, and he gave him a command. Now, the command... is extremely hard, if not impossible. Zacchaeus, who was the tax collector who came to God, and God said, this man will be with me in heaven. Jesus said that. He gave half of what he owned. You know, he, Matthew and John were not required to give up their vocation. They went back to fishing. They they continue to do these things. It's not required that every man give everything they have to God. It is required that his heart be changed so that all that he has is what he gives. When Jesus gives the command in Matthew, uh, it's, it says, If you wish to be perfect, 
do all these things. God in truth was saying, there is one way to come to, to eternal life, and that is through me. If you wish to be perfect, the, frankly, the other way to get, in, get with God and, and in his presence is to be perfect. If you are perfect, you have done all the commandments from beginning to end, always, all the time. That is perfection. There has been one perfect man, and that is Jesus Christ. All the rest fall short of the glory of God. So he is saying, if you want to be perfect, if you want to keep doing the things you're doing, if you think you can do enough and you can do all the things that you can do to please God, that requires perfection. That's what he's saying when he says, do all these things. You have to be perfect. You cannot do them in yourself. You can't do one great thing and be saved. You can't do a lot of great things and be saved. But what that is, is the world's view, is it not? Every religion on earth will tell you that the way you get to God is you get good enough to come into his presence. You get good enough and you can see God. You get good enough and God will talk to you. You do these amazing things and God will do it. You give to the poor and that gets you in good with God. You sell your possession and that gets you in good with God. God doesn't need our possessions. I mean, if he needs something, he's got a cattle on a thousand hills and he can sell one anytime he wants. He doesn't need our works. He doesn't need our money. And he doesn't need our youth. What he needs is our heart. And as long as we keep trying to offer up all these other things in, in forms of work so that we feel better, we've lost the point. So when Jesus said that to the rich young ruler, he was sad, or a better translation was, he was grieved. It makes me think of Impact NC. There are many people in this community who think that the way they get to God is to do good things. The way they get to God is to be good enough. To go to church, maybe even. But they don't understand that the gospel, the good news, is that we can't do that. And that we can come in God's presence through the one who was perfect, Jesus Christ. We, can't, <clears throat> we cannot be good enough to please God. After the encounter, he went away grieved and sad. Jesus, I believe, was grieved and sad. He loved this man. He wanted him to have eternal life with him. But he made the wrong choice. He trusted in what he had, as opposed to saying, I am willing to give up everything. When he was confronted with his sin, as he eventually was, if he didn't believe it to begin with, he was confronted with the fact that he did have other gods before him. As he was confronted with that, he chose his own way. 
And Jesus was lamenting that, that it was hard for a rich man to enter into heaven because it is hard for us to trust in what we can't do. It is for me. I'm a good one to say, if I see something that has to be done, I'm going to figure out how to do it. I'm going to put in the effort to get it done. And that doesn't honor God. But he loved him and he said it's hard for them to do it. And the apostles then, or excuse the disciples said, if this is the case, how can anyone come to the kingdom of God? How can anyone in their eternal life? They didn't understand. He was a good man. He was everything that they thought a good man should be. But God said, when they were astonished and said, who can be saved? He said, with people it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. With people it's impossible to be perfect. With people it's impossible to be good enough. With people it's impossible to approach the gospel unless we face our sin and come face to face with that and realize that Jesus, who is the perfect one, has paid the price for our sins and accepted that on an individual basis. Not as an assent to I believe it. Uh, Ken and I have had a discussion about when people are asked, do you, can you um, come to God by agreeing with that Jesus is God? Can you accept God into your life? That's an assent. You can say, yeah, I believe God there was a Jesus Christ, but that is not faith. It's better than saying, can you accept Jesus into your life? Can you commit to following Jesus Christ and putting up with all the, and accepting all the, the joy that comes in, in obedience? You notice I started a little bit before the rich young ruler when we did this the scripture. And when the disciples said, how can anyone come to Christ? In all three gospels, the uh, events of the children coming to him are prefaced the rich young ruler. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. As we get our lives, as we work our lives, as we do everything we have in our lives, we think that we can do something for God. We think that our efforts are uh, reason for us to get into heaven. The truth is, we can only come into God's presence. We can only have eternal life as we do it as little children in pure trust that what he said was true that our faith in him gives us meaning for life. It gives us reason for our riches. It gives us reason for our youth. It gives us reason for our occupations. And it's only in him that we can do that. One other little tidbit of movie wisdom, and I think old movies have a lot of wisdom in them. One of our favorite movies uh, is Harvey. I don't know. That's an old movie to me, so it's a really old movie to most of you. But Harvey is a movie about a six, 
foot, two and a half inch puka, which is a rabbit that nobody sees except Jimmy Stewart, except um, except a psychiatrist who is put on his case to try to cure him, right? So after some encounters, he sees Harvey. And his comment is, fly specks, fly specks. I've been spending my life among fly specks while miracles have been happening on a lamppost at 18th and Fairfax. Our lives can be spent in fly specks. Our lives can be spent doing work, accumulating riches, knocking off items on our bucket list, and missing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he wants us all because he owns it all. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for the gospel. I am grateful that, that I can do nothing, that there is nothing in me that is worth um, anything to you save through the, the eyes of Jesus Christ, my Savior, that in him I can have meaning in life, I can have reason for my occupation, I can commit all that I have to you. Lord, help me to understand that you own it all, and I am a steward. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.